Good morning, Crosspoint Church. My name is Gabe Bailey. I'm the family pastor here at Crosspoint. And what that means, I'm over kids, youth, and college, and I love what I do. Uh, but faith family, we've been in uh, James chapter 1, and we've been looking at how to have a faith that lasts in the midst of trials. And we've kind of had some trials in our community, in our city this past week. And before we dive into God's word, I just want us to pray for our city and for some specific things this morning. Uh, hopefully everyone made it through the hurricane that swept through our uh, town a couple days ago. I know I actually heard some people are still without power. Um, thankfully, the lights only flickered in my house once and just had to reset a clock, so we were good there. Um, praise the Lord. Uh, I was thankful for that. Um, but also, if you don't know, there was a tragedy in Lowndes High School this week. Um, one of the buses got hit and a, and a young girl lost her life. And so there's a family and students that are just grieving and honestly have a lot of questions about why would God allow this to happen. And so before we really dive into God's word, I just want us to pray, James 1, for that family, that they would see purpose in the midst of tragedy, that they would see God's love, that they would see God's glory even in the midst of their loss. So faith family, will you just pray with me as we pray for the Hall family? Father, you are a good father. And you love us. And Father, you promise never to leave us nor forsake us. And Father, that even means in the midst of tragedy, loss, hurt, and pain. So Father, I lift up all the hurting hearts that are in this room this morning. Father, they have come in with just heavy loads. God, I ask that they would just lay them down at your feet because Jesus, you care for us. You fight for us. Just like the song we got to sing this morning, Jesus, you are our champion. So, Father, I pray for the hearts in this room. God, I lift up the Hall family as they are grieving this week the loss of their daughter. Father, I can't comprehend what it would be like to lose one of my children. So, God, I lift up her parents. God, I lift up her friends. Father, I just lift up all the students that are going to Lowndes and Valdosta and all the schools of our city, God, that you would be working in their hearts. And God, ultimately, we ask that you would draw them to yourself. Father, we believe that you are sovereign enough to turn tragedy into good. So, Father, we rely on you. Jesus, you are what we need. Jesus, you are the light in the darkness. So, Jesus, we rest in you. God, I ask that your word would just speak to us this morning, that your word would just form our hearts. And, God, we wouldn't be about just religion and checking a box this morning, but we would be about authentic faith. So, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would lead, guide, and direct us this morning. In holy name I pray. Amen. Faith family, we've been in James chapter 1, and we've been looking at having a faith in the midst of trials, and we've talked about having wisdom, we've talked about being a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word, and today we're going to dive into what religion cannot do for you. That's what we're going to kind of spend our time this morning, diving in in what religion cannot do for you. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish theologian, said this, the human race in the course of time has taken the liberty of softening and softening Christianity. Until at last, we have contrived to make it exactly the opposite of what it is in the New Testament. 
I agree with Soren here when he says that we have softened Christianity and it's almost lost its effectiveness. Because what we love to do is to have Christianity, religion, on our terms instead of God's terms. I'm convinced one of the deepest, darkest secrets of the religious subculture of the South is that we want Christianity, we want church, we want religion on our terms instead of God's terms. We want it to fit us, our preferences, our comforts, and and accommodate our lifestyle. Regardless of what God's word has to say about true, authentic faith and religion, we are happy just to go to church, go to a life group, tithe occasionally, check the religious box off in our week, and never change the way we actually live. Faith family, the problem with this type of Christianity, it loses all its power. This type of religion that's on man's terms, which we're going to see here in James 1, is worthless. It loses its power. It loses its effectiveness. It loses its authenticity. But when we take Christianity on God's terms, we will have a faith that is strong. We'll have a faith that will last. We'll have a faith that is sticky. We'll have a faith that other people are drawn to and not pushed away from. We will have a faith that is a light into the darkness. We will have a faith that is alive. We will have a faith that is authentic. And we will have a faith that is real. So faith family, we must decide this morning. Are we going to have a religion on man's terms? Or are we going to have authentic faith on God's? So if you have God's word this morning, turn to James chapter 1. We're going to be wrapping up James chapter 1 this morning. We're going to be spending our time in two verses, verse 26 and 27. I'm going to read it for us this morning. James says, if anyone thinks he is religious, and that word religious here, James is talking about authentic faith. If you actually go to chapter 2, verse 1, you actually see that, that phrase, authentic faith, or faith mentioned there. So when James is talking about religion here, he's not talking about what man says religion is. He's talking what God says religion is, and that's authentic faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious, has authentic faith, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion or faith, authentic faith, is worthless. Religion or authentic faith that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Faith family, I want to give you just three truths and press into three truths this morning where we're going to look at man's religion versus authentic faith. And the first one is this. Religion says speak your mind where authentic faith controls the tongue. Religion says speak your mind where authentic faith says control your tongue. We see that in verse 26 here. But we live in a world where everyone has a voice. Thank you, social media. Thank you, Facebook. That You give every person a voice, and unfortunately, everyone thinks they should share their voice all the time about every issue or matter, no matter what it is, inside the church and outside of the church. And I've seen religious people say some of the most hateful things in the name of truth. 
And when they do that, they totally disqualify themselves from ever reaching a people because they speak a language of hate and not love. This idea of being religious with your speech only cares about being right no matter the cost. Where an authentic faith truly cares about the person. Married couples, we know this truth. I can be right 100% of the time, but if I say it in the wrong way and I parade it around, I am losing that battle. It's the same thing with the words we say in public and in private. And we see this truth in James. Nothing will disqualify your faith faster than a loose tongue. Nothing will disqualify your faith faster than a loose tongue. James says, if you have a loose tongue, then guess what? Your faith is worthless. If you do not control your tongue, then the faith that you declare, if you declare Jesus, then it's actually worthless. And this should be a sobering reality because I've looked at myself and I have a very loose tongue. I can set people's lives ablaze in a heartbeat. I can fire an arrow that's going to pierce someone's soul in a moment because our words carry weight. You know that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? That's such a lie. Words can cut deep. And James is giving us a warning here to not deceive ourselves if we lack self-control. And the thing is, the things we love are the things we talk about. So I just want to ask you a quick question this morning. What dominates most of your conversations? I know what happened yesterday. Was anybody else happy with what happened yesterday on TV? Every man's secret saying, amen, football came back, college football, okay? So, so I know, all right? And so as I was thinking about what dominates most of my conversations when I talk to people, is it football? Is it sports? Is it food? Is it working out? Is it your job? Is it some dream that you have? Is it remodeling your house? Whatever it might be, you could, you could put a list of things in there. What is it that dominates your conversation? We love what we talk about. So do we talk about Jesus? Religion loves to talk about self, where authentic faith loves to talk about Jesus. We see that it's so easy, instead of talking about Jesus, we can easily spew discouragement. You know those people that are in your lives, that are those Debbie Downers, you know, those Eeyores? Like, you could be having the best day, and you come into your office, and all of a sudden, they're like, well, my cat died for the thousandth time. And you're like, come on, man. You know, why do you have cats? You're a dude. Anyways, um, <laughs> if you have cats, we love you here at Crosspoint. I'm not saying the cats are wrong. But you know those people that you, you walk into their presence, you're like, I don't know if I can hang out with them because they're so discouraging. But I guarantee you those people that are discouraging probably don't even know that they are that way. We have to look at our own hearts. Are we that person that is constantly discouraged? Because the opposite of discouragement is encouragement. Our faith carries so much weight, faith family, when we love to encourage, when we love to build up. Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us and to us to build us up. 
Religion that discourages, religion that discourages puffs up self-righteousness where authentic faith encourages unity. So we can either be talking about Jesus or we could be spewing this attitude and this heartbeat of, uh, of complaining. We have discouragement. We also have complaining. Faith family, how easy is it for us to complain? I could literally find $100 on the street and then complain about trying, having to bend down and pick it up. You know, you know like, I, I find myself complaining so often. And this past Monday, I, honestly, I had a very hard day on Monday, and I got home about 7 o'clock, and all I wanted to do was sit in my blue recliner chair. Man, how many of y'all have a chair out there that is yours in your house? All right, yeah, some of you are like, praise Jesus for that chair, all right? And all the wives are like, I wish I could burn it right now. So I know, that's how my wife is. But I have my blue chair, so I finally sit down in my blue chair, and all I wanted to do was to watch a specific program that I recorded. And so I grab my remote, and I pop up my feet, and I hit the power button. Guess what happens? Nothing. So like every red-blooded male, when the remote doesn't work, what's the first thing we do, fellas? We break, we, we bang it on our hand. We're like, come on, thing work. And so then I hit it again, and it doesn't work. Then I take out the batteries and I rub them together and I'm trying to get it to work, put them back in, still doesn't work. And then, so at this moment, honestly, I start getting mad. I just have the spirit of just complaining and I'm talking, just kind of fuming to myself about why isn't this remote working? I've had a hard day. All I want to do is sit and relax and rest. And so I complain about getting out of my blue chair, walking 10 feet around to my kitchen to our little junk drawer. Families, you know that tiny little drawer where you can just fit a thousand billion things in your kitchen? You know which one I'm talking about? And you have it slam-packed with stuff. You can never find anything you're actually really looking for in that drawer. All right, so I was like, there has to be a AAA battery that I can just take one out, put other in, and just make it through the night. That's, that was my goal. So I spend the next 20 minutes taking everything out of that drawer trying to find a battery. Every minute, I just get more and more angry. And I'm complaining about... Why isn't this tiny little drawer organized? It's filled with all my stuff. There wasn't a battery in there, and then so I tell Callie, like, I got to go to the store. I got to get batteries. So then I grab my keys, and I start to complain that I have to drive literally a mile and a half down to the family dollar. I drive all the way there, and I get in the store. I grab the batteries, and I get in line, and I have my arms crossed, and I'm just sitting there like this just fuming. I have my foot tapping because there's two people in front of me in line. Literally, I was so angry because I had to wait five minutes to check out. I get back into my car, and I'm driving home, and I look behind me, and it's one of the most beautiful sunsets I've seen in a long time. And immediately, God broke my heart, because in that moment where I just had the spirit of complaining, I forgot all the good gifts that God has given me. So if you're here this morning, and you're struggling with this heart of just that loves to complain, I want to encourage you to be thankful. That's exactly what Spence challenged us with this morning, that we would be thankful. And if you find yourself just in that constant mode of not being thankful, I want to challenge you to do one thing this week. Do this one thing. I promise it will help your heart turn from that of complaining to a heart of praise and thankfulness. When you get in bed each night this week, I want you to grab a pen, a piece of paper, maybe a notebook, you can even have your phone, but I want you to list out everything that you're thankful for that day. 
So as you're getting to bed and you're about to wrap up your day, I want you not turn on the TV, don't read for a second. I want you to list out all the things that you are thankful for. Be thankful for that you have a house, that you're laying on a bed, that you actually have a car that you can get in, that you have a job that provides the bills that you have. Be thankful that you have air going into your lungs and that you're thankful for God's sovereign grace that saves us out of the muck and the mire. Spend a couple moments just listing out some different things you're thankful for. And after you write those things down, I want you to spend a moment just thanking God. Praising God for those things because I promise you, if you do that for a week, your heart will go from that that loves to complain to that that loves to give thanks. So we could be spewing complaining instead of Jesus or we could be spewing gossip. Gossip is hurtful and it's fueled with jealousy, envy, just to prove that you're better than the other person. Jealousy loves to be prideful because we know something about someone else that other people do not know. The opposite of gossip is speaking the truth in love. Faith family, may we be a people that protects people instead of parading people's sins in front of others. May we not spew gossip, a heart of complaining or discouragement, but we speak Jesus. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is telling us that our hearts and what we say is a direct reflection of our hearts. So if evil is coming out of our hearts, then our hearts, I mean, if evil is coming out of our mouths, then our hearts are probably evil. John Piper says this, when our mouths are empty of praise for others, it is probably because our hearts are full of self. When our mouths are empty of praise for others, it's probably because our hearts are full of self. If you think about this, a lot of times us having, not showing self-control is not saying specific things. I know there's times that God leads it, leads me to tell someone an encouraging word or tries to encourage them, but instead of encouraging them, I stay quiet. How evil is that? You wanna know what's really evil? When God leads you to share the gospel with someone, and you don't. A few Christmases ago, my wife and I were able to go up to New York City. It's our first time in New York City. We love going up there. Uh, we just had a blast for a week up in the city, and, and we love to try to pack in as much as possible in a holiday. As families, you know where you try to do so much, you need a vacation from your vacation when you get back. That's us. We go from the time we wake up till we pass out, all right? So we were up there, and we went to this one place, actually a church that I really wanted to visit, and it was lunchtime, and, and we're, we think we're foodies, and so uh, we were on Yelp, and we were trying to find the best place to eat in the Upper East Side, and we found this little tiny burrito shop. Literally, it was the size of my bathroom, okay? So we go in this, it's kind of one of those sketchy places you're like, I hope 
This is good, all right? So <laughs> you go in, and we order our burrito. We sit down. I'm so excited. And it's one of those places, because it's so small, there's, they try to pack as much seating in there as possible. So literally, there's a, a couple sitting right next to us. And I mean, I could put my arm around the guy. Like, I could smell what he was eating by his breath, okay? That's how close we were to this couple as we were eating. Have no idea who they were. So me and Cal, we were eating our burritos, and we're trying to talk about what we're going to do the rest of that day. And you know, when you're so close to someone, you just can't help overhear the conversation. You know, it's kind of one of those things you're trying not to pay attention, but secretly, secretly you're like, I'm hearing every word this person's saying, you know? And so that's what was happening in this moment. Because one of, the guy asked the girl, so did you grow up going in church? He asked her that question. And for the next 10 minutes, they talked about the different denominations that they both come from, and they were talking about religion in general, and and the guy was talking about how he doesn't believe in Jesus anymore because something that happened to him as a child in a church. And the girl had a lot of questions. She believes that there's a God or some being, but she doesn't know if it's Jesus or not. I'm literally sitting six inches from this couple, and I'm just focused on my burrito, and I'm sitting there, I know the truth. I know what you need is Jesus but my flesh started to flare up because I was on a vacation. I'm not from New York. I don't know these people. No one knows that I'm a pastor. We're trying to go see a bunch of sites. This could be a conversation that would last hours. As I was waging war of what I should do in that moment... They finished their meal, and they got up and left. And as they were walking out the door, I turned to Callie, and tears were starting to run down my face because I realized I blew it. They were asking about Jesus, and I didn't utter a word. Faith family, may we have the boldness to have self-control when we need to have self-control, but also speak the words of life when we need to speak the words of life. Because religion says, puff up yourself. Authentic faith says, point people to Jesus. That leads us to our next truth this morning I want us to press into. Religion says self, where authentic faith sacrifices. Religion says self, where authentic faith sacrifices. Look at verse 27 for us. It says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Authentic faith sacrifices. Authentic faith sacrifices for family. Parents, there is nothing you wouldn't do for your children. If your children were hungry, you would feed them first. If they needed clothes, guess what? They get the new clothes to go back to school. When you're home and you're ready to watch Monday night football and your little girl comes up to you and says, Daddy, I want to watch Frozen for the 100 billionth time, guess what you do? You start singing Let It Go as loud as you can and you watch Frozen. You know why? Because true love sacrifices. Authentic faith sacrifices. Authentic faith comes to the defense of the fatherless. Faith family, loving the orphan and the widow isn't an option. It's a command. 
Loving the widow and the orphans isn't something, eh, if I get to it. It's a command. God says this in Isaiah 1, 17. He says, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. True, authentic faith is going to fight for the fatherless. We need to be a people that rallies together to fight for the fatherless. Crosspoint, there are over 150 million orphans in our world right now. Just let that number sink in. I mean, that's, that's a number that, I can, honestly, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. There are over 150 million orphans right now in the world. If you just look at the United States, I know we don't have orphanages, but we do have foster care. There are over 500,000 children in foster care right now. That's five times the size of Valdosta and Lowndes County. Think about everyone that's in this county, that's five of them. That's how many little children are in foster care right now. The crazy thing is, there's over 500,000 churches in America. If each church said, hey, we'll foster one family, every child would be taken care of. If you want to get even more personal, there's over 130 kids that are in foster care in our own county right now. I would love to say there's 130 families. You want to know how many there are? 30. There are 30 families that say we will step into the gap and take care of these kids who didn't bring this on themselves, but that are orphans in our culture, in our society. My wife and I have been able to step into that gap. We've been able to do foster care for the past few years, and I'm going to tell you it is hard, but it's worth it. It is extremely hard at times and heartbreaking at times knowing that those two little children that we love dearly might not be in our house tomorrow. But you know what? It's worth it. Knowing that we have helped shape their hearts in pursuit of God is extremely worth it. And me and Callie have gotten to talk to many of you about foster care, and we typically hear two responses about foster care. The first one is this. I would get too attached. You know, I would love to foster, but just, I love kids so much, I would just get too attached. And I understand exactly where that person is coming from. And inwardly, I say, yes, you will get too attached. And that's a great thing, because what that child is getting is a mom and dad that loves them. It's a beautiful thing to get attached. But faith family, don't let someone's, don't let your future pain stop you from loving someone in their present pain. Let me say that one more time. Don't allow your future pain to stop you from loving someone in their present pain. Those little children have done nothing to deserve what they are in at that moment. All they want, they long for. I had, we had two girls in our house for a week. They wanted to stay with us, but they were being transferred to another place. But all they wanted was a mom and dad that loved them. Literally, the first night, I remember, they actually drew it on a little whiteboard we have in that room, and they drew me and Callie and them all holding hands. This is a seven- and eight-year-old girl. 
all they want as a loving family. So don't allow your future pain for stopping you loving someone in their present pain. Because if you are an authentic believer in Jesus, guess what? God gives grace in those moments. It will be a heart-wrenching moment when I have to take my little girl and put her in that car seat and close the door for the last time. There are days when I go home weeping over that thought. But what gets me through that thought is knowing that God's grace is sufficient. So if you're here, yes, his grace is sufficient for us. So if you fear that attachment, fear getting too attached, it's okay. That's a beautiful thing to be attached, but know that God will take care of you. His sovereignty and his grace will get you through every moment. The second thing I hear all the time is, I'm scared that it would mess up my family. We're kind of, we have other kids in our house, and I'm scared that it might mess up our family dynamic. And that's a valid fear. That is something you need to pray through and think about. And yes, I've heard stories of how foster children and adoption can mess up a family dynamic. But I also want you to see the flip side. What greater message could you tell your children and show your children about bringing someone that's not of your family into your family? What greater message message of the gospel could you live out for your children and for others in your family to say, hey, this child is not from us, they're not part of us, but now they are our family. Because guess what, faith family, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. We are all orphans. Every single person on this planet is an orphan if they do not believe in Jesus Christ because our sin has separated us from our good, good Father and God being good and gracious and loving and merciful sent Jesus down to this earth to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, to die on the cross, the death that we deserved, and he satisfied the legal demands that our sin that was put on his shoulders. And when he was stretched out and he cried, it is finished, you know what that also means? Welcome home. Welcome home, because Jesus satisfied those legal demands that were against us. And he says, if you trust and believe in me, you are no longer an orphan anymore. You are now a son and daughter of the most high God. We see in Romans chapter 8 this idea of adoption, how beautiful that is. And we also see that we are actually co-heirs with Christ. Faith family, when you, are, when you believe in Jesus, you're not just an orphan anymore. You are a son and daughter. Then you are a co-heir of Jesus, meaning everything that Jesus has, you now have. What an amazing God that we serve. And our God is for the fatherless. And we are all fatherless without Jesus. So what greater message could we proclaim to our children and our families than bringing children that aren't a part of our family into our family? And I know everyone's not called to orphan care, but I want to give you a couple ways that you could be a part of visiting the orphan in their distress. The first one is this. I want you to prayerfully consider fostering and adoption. Prayerfully consider it. Pray through it. Talk about it. 
Come to me after the service. Me and Callie would love to talk to you about this. But if you know God is leading you to foster and adopt, don't hesitate. Don't allow fears to dictate your obedience to God. The second thing is help those who are going through foster care and adoption. I just want to thank you, Crosspoint, because the moment that we got that call of having a two-year-old and a three-month-old, within a couple hours, we had diapers, we had formula, we had a crib, and our church rallied around us. And I just want to say thank you. I know my children are loved so dearly by this faith family. Help those who do. Another great thing you can do is sponsor the 150 million orphans that are around the world right now. That's why we love Compassion International as a church, because they are going to the orphans' cause. Right now in DPK, those children are writing letters to the two orphans that we were able to adopt from DPK camp. All that money that you were emptying out your change, you're like, why in the world are they doing this? All that money, we raised over $900 that during that time so that we could sponsor two children and bring them out of poverty. Both of those, it's a boy and a girl, both of them are the ages of those kids in there and both of them do not have parents, they're living with other people and every day they get to go to school, they have a meal and they get to hear about Jesus. Be a part of sponsoring children through great organizations. Another thing you can do is serve the agencies that are in the midst of this. DFACS is overworked and out. It's a, they need so much help. How amazing would it be if a life group just took some donuts down to DFACS one day and said, hey, guess what? Crosspoint loves you and we're praying for you. It could be going on a trip to Honduras where Pam and such as the kingdom ministries, you're going to hear more about that in the months to come but has 30 precious girls that are in foster care over there in Honduras. Lastly, you could just be a voice to those that have none. Be a voice for the fatherless. So we see that authentic faith comes to the rescue of the fatherless, but also the lonely. It's the orphan and the widow here. God wants us to care for the lonely, the ones that have lost their spouse, the ones that have lost their loved ones, their protection, their support. We are called to fill that gap for them. We are not, we are the bride of Christ and we're called to fill that for people, to show them the love and care that can only come from Jesus. Authentic faith that's defined by loving God and loving others. The last truth, and we're gonna wrap up with this this morning, the difference between religion and authentic faith is this. Religion says comfort where authentic faith lives on convictions. Religion says comfort where authentic faith says live on convictions. The end of verse 12, 27 says this. And to the one, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That word unstained, when you actually look at the Greek, Looking at that word, it means to be set apart or to be holy. So having an authentic faith means that we are holy. We pursue righteousness. We don't pursue the American dream. We pursue what God has for us, his will for our lives. 
And the first thing to understand this, religion says do and work and try to earn your salvation where Jesus in true authentic faith says, I've already done it for you. Faith family, you will never be able to pursue holiness, righteousness, and purity if you don't receive the holiness and righteousness that's offered through Jesus Christ. He gives it to us. It's imputed to us. And so just like we are brought into his family when we trust in him and believe in him, another amazing truth happens is that his holiness is now yours. His righteousness is now yours. His purity is now yours. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see sinful man or sinful Gabe anymore. He sees his son. So faith family, do you believe and trust in Jesus? Because you will only pursue holiness and righteousness righteousness if it's been given to you first. And in that, Jesus tells us to be in the world and not of the world. We've heard that phrase. If you've been in church, you've probably heard that phrase, be in the world and not of the world. And what he's telling us is, yes, we're supposed to live in this world, but we are called to live in such a way that we look different from the world. The problem is most Christians, most religious people love to look just like the world except on Sundays. Sundays is the only day we live differently because we go to church. We're called to be lights in the darkness. And honestly, the problem with that type of religion that looks just like the world is that it costs you nothing. We like religion that is easy. We like religion that is comfortable. We like a religion that is carefree. We like a religion that says you have no problems and you can hoard all your wealth for yourself. Martin Luther said this, a a religion that gives nothing costs nothing and suffers nothing and is ultimately worth nothing. Yes, faith family, salvation is a free gift of God but following Jesus will cost you. It will cost you your lifestyle. It will cost you your comforts. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your wealth. But it's extremely worth it. It's so worth it following Jesus instead of man's religion. Because it's declaring to a world that God is glorious. Man's religion doesn't save anyone, but authentic faith draws people and say, man, that person is different. He's going through one of the toughest trials that any person can go to, and he's not blaming God. He's trusting in God. I want that. Authentic faith points people to God, where religion points people to works. And we see that the manifestation of authentic faith expresses itself through love. Religion is all about your own comforts where authentic faith is all about loving others. The band can go ahead and come on out. Stephen, you can come on up. I just want to close with a story I read this week. There was this man who was going on a business trip and he was actually traveling pretty late at night on this backcountry highway. And all of a sudden, he saw smoke rising from the hood of his car, and he decides to pull over. So he pops the hood, and he looks at it, and he's not a mechanic. He's just trying to figure out, God, what am I supposed to do, you know? 
I don't have any cell reception in this spot, so what am I supposed to do? And all of a sudden, he's trying to tinker around with things. He feels this sharp pain hit the back of his head. Three men came through the woods, jumped this man, beat him to a pulp, took all he had and left him there to die. So this man is beat up, bloody. He can barely move. He's laying there by his car, and all of a sudden down the road he sees a glimmer of hope. He sees two car lights coming down the road. And he's trying to sit himself up, but he just can't muster enough strength to to get up, and he just kind of barely holds out his hand, and that car comes to a screeching stop. There's a man driving that car. He rolls down the window. He's got on a very nice suit. And he yells, man, are you okay? And the guy can't say a word at this moment, and he just shakes his head no. And the man says, man, I would love to help you, but I'm actually called to preach in about 20 minutes at this church, and I'm running late, and I got to get there. He rolls back up this window, and he keeps on going. The man is crushed. But then all of a sudden, he sees two more lights coming down the road. And that person stops, and he rolls down the window, and he has to say, hey, man, are you okay? Are you alive? And he's able to muster up, yes, I'm alive, but I need help. And that person in the car says, I would love to help you, but I'm actually late for this big church function that I'm supposed to be at, and I'm supposed to help collect the offering, and I'm supposed to do a couple things, and I can't help you at this moment. And so he rolls up his window, and as it's rolling, he shouts, hey, if you're still here when I come back through, I'll help you. And he keeps on going. The man that is beat up and bloody at this moment rolls to his back, and he's just in utter despair. He starts to weep because he realizes, I'm going to die. He closes his eyes. He's talking to God. And all of a sudden, he hears a car stop. And because he just got burned twice, he's not even looking over because he knows he's just going to hear the same things and the person's going to leave. He keeps his eyes closed, but something different happens. He hears a car door open and a car door close. And he hears a man speaking in a language he has no idea what it is. And that man comes over to him and he rolls over and he looks at him and this man is dressed completely different. He knows he's not an American and this guy's trying to ask him if he's okay but he doesn't understand what this guy's saying and that man who's not an American picks up the guy that is beat up and bloody, puts him in his car and the guy's like starting to weep because he realizes he's getting blood all over this man's car and he pulls out a water bottle from his front seat and starts wiping off the wounds of his head and he actually gets a towel that he had in the back and starts washing away these guys, this guy's wounds. And he says something to him he doesn't understand and then all of a sudden he realizes that the man took him to a hospital. He carries him in And he tells the people at the front desk that he will take care of all his medical bills. That he'll be back tomorrow to check on him. That story isn't a new story. It's a story that Jesus told when he was talking about who's our neighbor. It's a story of the Good Samaritan. 
That first man was a priest. He was a pastor. He was the man that was supposed to shepherd the people of God. But instead of being authentic in that moment, he chose to be religious and say, I can't stoop down to your level. And he kept on going. The next, the next man was a Levite. That was the people that knew all of the Pentateuch. They knew, they memorized pretty much the whole Old Testament. They knew what they were called to do. They lived a righteous life. But instead of helping that man that was beat up and bloody, he said, hey, it's the Sabbath, so I can't, I can't do work on the Sabbath. Kept on going. The third man was a Samaritan. If you know anything about Jews and Samaritans, they did not get along. They actually hated each other. And it was a Samaritan man that showed authentic faith by loving his neighbor in that moment. Faith, family, my heartbeat for us is not to be the religious, not focus on man's religion, but have authentic faith that comes from God's word. And that means we control our tongue. We speak words of life. We fight for the orphan and the widow, and we pursue the holiness that Christ has bought for us. In a moment, I'm about to pray. And I want to challenge you to look in. Because every one of us has to answer this question. Am I living my life on man's religion or on God's terms? Is my faith based on my terms or God's? So I just want to challenge you to look in this morning. And if you have questions about faith, if you have questions about Jesus, if you have questions about adoption, any of that, please, there'll be pastors down here. We would love to talk to you. Afterwards, we got our connection room. We would love to talk to you more about those things. But do not leave here this morning without you examining your own heart and checking to see, is my life built on my religion or God's? Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would speak to us this morning. Father, as we just pause right now and we look at our own hearts, Father, I pray that you would lead us through the power of your Holy Spirit to be honest with ourselves. And Father, for the men and women that are in this room and they know they have built their lives on man's religion, that today they would surrender their life to you, Jesus. That they would follow you because you are worth it. Jesus, you are the only one that can satisfy and sustain our souls. Father, for the family in here that is praying about fostering or adopting Father, I pray you would wash away all their fears. And God, our heartbeat as a church is to be one that is set apart, that we're in the world but not of the world, not so that we could parade our self-righteousness around, but that we could live in such a way that we draw more people to you. Father, move in this time. In the name I pray.